you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. You can take a Bible uh, there if you have one close by. Hosea chapter 12 is what we're going to be going through today. And uh, we're in this series called Amazing Love. We're almost to the end of it. We just have a couple more weeks of, of this. And uh, some of you, that, that might sound like good news uh, to you. But uh, we are, we're getting close to the end. Um, so I, I don't uh, know where I first heard the term lifelong learner. Uh, but when I heard it, it kind of stuck with me, and I kind of thought, you know, I, I want to be that. I want to be a lifelong learner because we learn so many lessons in in this life, and it's such a short life. And some of those lessons are, are more important than others, and some of those lessons are more painful than others. And some of those lessons we uh, don't learn the first time or the second time, so we have to take them again and again and again. I was thinking about this lesson learning thing, and I, I don't remember the particular year that I learned this lesson, um, but I was working with my dad, it was, it was, so it would have been in the mid-90s to, to late-90s when this lesson came up, and I was, I was on my way to a, a client to, to do some work on their computers, and uh, I was getting everything, I was late um, getting, getting to go, so I was in a hurry, so I was getting all this stuff, I had my hands full, and I realized I needed a screwdriver, so I, I picked up a screwdriver, uh, but I, I couldn't figure out how to carry the screwdriver and everything else to the car. So I put the screwdriver in my mouth like that. Now, I'm not going to put it in my mouth because who knows where this thing has been. Um, but I put it in my teeth and I clamped down on it. And I was holding it, going to the car with all this with all this stuff. So I, I was holding it. I put, it, put all my stuff in the car, uh, except I kept the screwdriver in my mouth when I went to get in. And when I went to get into the car, it it hit on the top of the car, which chipped my tooth. Now, that didn't hurt near as bad as the scolding that I got from the dentist when I went to, uh, to see him. And he tried to put some bond on there, and it stayed on there for, for a little while. Uh, but, um, you know, I learned a lesson there. And I have, have to this day not put any tools in my mouth when I'm, I'm walking around. So lesson, lesson learned, uh, take it from me. Don't put tools in your mouth. Don't run with scissors, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so Hosea chapter 12, the amazing love has some lessons in there for us to, to learn. And so let's pray right now and, and just ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning, wherever we are at, uh, at home. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and, and, uh, it's a, it's a strange feeling being spread out like we are in our homes today, but we have confidence that, um, where two or three are gathered there, you are also in, uh, in, in your presence is there as well. And so uh, we know that you are here. We know that you are wherever those folks are out on, on the wire. And so, Lord, unite us together, you know, in spirit today and let us feel uh, the comfort of your presence. Um, you know, there's so much going on in the world uh, today, Lord, and so much confusion and um, so, so many things that are coming over the airways to us. And we don't know what to believe and we don't know, you know, how serious things are, but, but, uh, we're taking things seriously, Lord. And so in a world that's kind of topsy turvy right now and the ground shaking beneath our feet, we want to run to your word because it is solid ground. 
so we want to go there today and have you teach us how, um, how to love you. And so, Lord, uh, let your Holy Spirit be working uh, today in this strange environment that we're in. And we pray it's a blessing to you and a blessing to us. I pray the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we get into the... um, before we get into the lessons, um, we're going to look here at Hosea 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 1, because Hosea sort of gives us uh, an update about the current climate in, in Israel and Judah. So here's what he says. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. And so by now, we're pretty familiar with the... Uh, with that kind of report, you know, we've been going through Hosea and it's the same thing here. Hosea is describing God in the midst of Israel and it's just full of lies. It's full of deceit. And as we've seen over the chapters in the book, we've had specific examples of that over and over. Um, but here it's kind of this general sweeping description that, you know, Israel is the, the, the air that they're breathing is full of violence and, and falsehood. And that reminded me on Friday, I was here working at the church upstairs and I'd been up there most of the day so I wanted to get out and so I walked over to Meyer. and uh, so there was a lot of people at Meyer on Friday and every cashier line was open and, and everybody was acting great and everything um, but as I was walking around looking at the empty shelves I felt like I was just breathing in the virus you know and I'm not a germ guy it was just kind of weird and I thought you know probably a lot of people are feeling like that uh, but here, here is God. He's, he's, he's like in the midst of Israel, and it's like he's breathing in the lies and deceit and foolishness. Uh, he says that they are uh, feeding on the wind, which if you think about that, that's really just a foolish effort. You know, it does, you're not going to get any nourishment trying to feed on the wind, so it's wasted time. Uh, it says they were chasing after the east wind, which is um, the exact opposite of what you would want in, in the Middle East. The east wind comes off the desert. It's very hot. It, people want to avoid the east wind. And so here Hosea is saying they're going after the east wind, which is a foolish thing to do. Hosea mentions Judah there in a positive light, that they're still clinging to some semblance of faithfulness to God. But you're going to see here in just a few verses that that's going to change. Israel's political and diplomatic climate, um, their shenanigans that they've been going through, you know, he's bringing that to light again. So important uh, for, for us to realize that God saw something there. His people were running to other places other than him for protection and for help. And so he says they're making promises with Assyria and they're trading uh, with Egypt. And so that brings us to chapter 12, verse 2, where we get the first lesson for today. And that is a history Lesson, And so let me read verses 2 to 6. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, 
by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So in these verses, there's some confusion about, you know, who God's referring to with, with these names. We've got Israel, Judah, and now we've got Jacob. And so this is another one of those places in Hosea where there's some really smart guys that leave me in the dust that have a lot of differing, differing opinions about that. So there's not a whole lot of consensus on how to read these verses. So when that happens to me, I just kind of go back to the Bible that's on my desk and I ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me make some some uh, sense of what this says. And so Hosea, he tells us what God is going to do to Judah and to Israel, who is now named Jacob, which was one of their forefathers. So even though Judah is is surviving at the moment, they've, they've been making some uh, religious reforms. King Hezekiah um, has been kind of cleaning up their idolatry. And so they've been doing that, but they're just doing, they're just beginning to do that. And so there's this struggle going on with the past, the past idolatry. And so the, the reforms are weak and the, the reforms are vulnerable. And so he's saying, you know, you've survived in the past, but, and, but, but keep pressing on. So then in, in the end though, they're going to have to God's going to have to bring judgment on, on them because they go back to their idolatrous ways. Uh, Jacob there is mentioned as being due a punishment for his ways. Again, a sweeping description of a lot of water under the bridge um, in the nation's, uh, in the nation's uh, history. And so then you get the history lesson from Jacob's life. Um, Hosea, he paraphrases some events from, from Jacob's life. And you can read about those in detail in Genesis chap, chapter 25 through 35 or 36 or so. But he mentions how he took his brother's heel. In the womb, so that was when when uh, Jacob was born. He grabbed he grabbed Esau's heel, which was foreshadowing that he would struggle for the birthright, and he would eventually get that birthright in the, in his family. And then he talks about Jacob struggling with God when he got older. Uh, he was wrestling an angel of the Lord, and he got him to cry, "Uncle," you know. He said, "I won't let you go until you bless me." So that's another big event in Israel's history uh, that they look at when they look at Jacob. And then at a place called Luz. Um, Jacob fell asleep there and he had a dream and it was a ladder that extended up to heaven and he saw angels ascending and descending on this. And it was in that dream that God showed up and he, he reaffirmed the promise to Abraham and passed it on to Jacob. So just an incredible moment in the history of Israel. When Jacob woke up, he called it Bethel because he had met with the Lord there. That means the house of God. Now, a little later in the chapter, uh, in chapter 12, um, there's a verse there, verse 12, that sort of seems out of place, describing another part of Jacob's life. So let me read that to you. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. And so it's telling us there uh, that if you remember that Jacob went and he worked for Laban for his wife Rachel, and he ended up getting his sister too, and they had to work for, he had to work 14 years uh, for his wives. So a lot of that stuff. But all of this kind of is wrapped together because Hosea is building this foundation, an emotional foundation, so that he can make a plea to Israel or to Judah to continue to struggle for the reforms that they're making. He's saying, look at your, look at your forefather. He was an overcomer. Look at his determination. Look at his perseverance. Even though some of the things he did under, in an underhanded way, he was known as an overcomer. He persevered. He, he, he struggled and overcame. And so Jacob was the history lesson. Uh, Hosea is saying, look, if your forefather can do it, 
you can do it too. So keep pressing on in the things that you are doing. We can take that same lesson today. We can learn from that same lesson today. Because see, our life is a series of struggles. I mean, we have wrestling matches going on um, with this and that. I mean, we struggle with with, uh, circumstances. We struggle with people, with sin. We even struggle uh, and wrestle with God. And right now, we're wrestling a virus, you know, the coronavirus. I mean, so we're trying to make sense of what's going on in the world. We're trying to be available to other people. Um, as we think about uh, being a witness, we're, we're trying to trust God in the midst of the fear that's swirling around. And we're, we're trying to be part of the solution. Um, so if you look at verse 6, that can be like what we need to get out of this lesson, this history lesson. That can be our verse. It says, so you... With God's help, return, hold fast to love and justice, and keep waiting for God to show up. So how do we overcome fear? You know, as the news just keeps bringing us, you know, more bad news. I mean, every day it's it's bad news. Uh, I think the virus is in every state except West Virginia. (laughs) Uh, So that's like in a week. And that's just people who are being tested, who showing severe signs. So, you know, this virus is probably everywhere. Um, so, you know, we get that, we we hear about that, and you know, it's just things that we don't understand, and we're trying to trust what we what we've been what we're being told. Um, but how do we overcome fear that we get that we will feel when we walk around Meyer and we're breathing in this virus? How do we overcome that? We turn to God by faith. And who he is, because who is our God? He is the almighty God. You know, he is the, the lion tamer. He's also the virus tamer, right? I mean, do, do we not believe it? Do we not believe that he is with us no matter where we are? No matter what we are doing, he is with us. God can keep disease from our lives. I mean, there's precedent for that in the word. Go back and read the plagues of Egypt. He's done it before. It's not too hard for God to keep us from getting sick. And you know what? It's not too hard for God to heal us when we do get sick. We pray for healing all the time, don't we? Do we believe these words that we pray for people every single week? Our faith overcomes our fear of getting sick. And then we believe that if we die, as soon as we close our eyes on this crazy world, what happens? We open them in the presence of Jesus. We open them right in his presence. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so no matter what happens to us, listen, if we have trusted Jesus Christ with our life, if we are trusting him for the forgiveness of our sins because of what he did for us, his blood being shed on that cross, wiping our sins away, making us white as snow, If we're believing that, if we trusted him, if our life is in his hands, you are not taking your life into your own hands when you go visit people, when you go love people, when you go help people. Your life's in his hands, so you can't take it back. And so no matter what happens to you, if you get the coronavirus or not, if you die, you're good if your life is in Jesus' hands. That's what we believe. You know, your fear will tell you something about your faith it will tell you something now i'm not saying you shouldn't feel fear but you might have to wrestle it you know you're going to see something fear comes up that's human but your faith should wrestle and overcome your fear and then with god's help when our minds bombarded with all these things 
we return our mind to our, our almighty God, who he is, our healer, our protector, our, our strength. And we cling to him and we wait for him to show up. And, and he'll show us what to do. So when our fear has been arrested by our faith, then you're free. You're free to focus on other people. You're free to focus on loving them. I mean, listen, God might call you to the bedside of a coronavirus patient. He might. He might call you to go there and be, uh, to be a comfort, to be an encouragement, to pray for them. Would you go if you were called to go? You know, maybe your neighbor's at home and they're afraid to go out today. Maybe you should call and check on them and see if you can go get something at the store. Would you go brave the lines at Meyer or wherever else so that they don't have to? Would you put yourself at risk so they wouldn't, wouldn't have to put themselves at risk? The answer to, be, to being able to say yes to those questions all depends on your faith in God. It all depends on what you believe about him. Is he, is he your help? Is he your healer? The one who's going to bless you, the one who's going to strengthen you, the one who's going to use you, the one who will take you home. All of those things. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So to exercise that faith, there's going to be a struggle with fear. It is always it is always hard. It's always a stretch to exercise our faith. But with God's help, we can hold fast to his love and we can be his justice. We can give mercy to those in need. We can keep waiting for him to show up. You know, when you look at the history we have been given in, in here, we have a lot of examples of how he has shown up. Hosea was calling Judah to learn from the example of Jacob his overcoming example, and to keep turning to God, keep remembering his name in their reforms. We need to do the same today while we wait for God to show up in the middle of this present darkness. Verses 7 to 9 is our next lesson. It's a health lesson. So let me read those verses. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. So in these verses, the great physician is reading his diagnosis of a heart sick people who don't think they're sick. Verse 7 says there's this merchant who's doing business in a dishonest way. And his love of money has him loving the oppression that is causing um, other people as he takes advantage of them by not dealing with them fairly. Ephraim is, is saying, hey, look at my wealth. Look at my success. Look at my life. Obviously, I have God's favor. Obviously, I'm doing so well. You can look at all this stuff and see there's nothing wrong. Nothing to see here. No sin, no iniquity. That's what the people are saying. 
But God is speaks. He speaks up in these words. And they're as familiar to them as the Lord's prayer is to us. He says, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. He also says in the Bible, I am the Lord your God who took you up from the land of Egypt. He is speaking sovereignty over them. He is speaking authority over them. He is saying, I made you. I brought you up out. I selected you. You're you're a person because you're a people because of me. And after so many years of um, becoming more and more like the cultures around them, those familiar words had lost their meaning to the people of Israel. And so God is saying, I'm going to take you back to the way it was in the beginning. I'm going to put you back in tents like when I took you out of Egypt. And that was a clever way of saying that there was a humbling that was going to come. It was going to take place. You know, these folks did not have to struggle with the coronavirus. But they were struggling with the Laodicea virus. That church in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read to you some of the letter that Jesus tells John to write to them. So Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 17 says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So they think they are healthy because they are wealthy and they don't have any needs. But the faithful and true witness is diagnosing them as being wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I mean, those two diagnoses could not be further apart. The exact, they are exactly the opposite. Why the difference? Because the people are looking at the outside of their lives. They're looking at how well they're doing. They're looking at their position. They're looking at their profits. They're looking at their blessings. But Jesus is looking at the insides of their lives. He's looking at their heart and their humility and how they're handling all this stuff that they have so laodicea it was a town that was uh, near a mountain range and in those mountains you could find some hot springs some pool of hot springs and thousands of people would go there every year to take healing soaking baths in those springs you could also find cold fresh water flowing off the mountains to drink there now to get water to the city of Laodicea they had to build an aqueduct system and so that went all the way to the mountains and the water went into the aqueduct system but by the time it got to the city it had become lukewarm and it was full of all these mineral deposits and so if you drank it you would get sick you would vomit it up and so that's kind of what Jesus is referring to he wanted them to be hot for God that they would be healing to other people or he wanted them to be cold he wanted them to be refreshing spiritually refreshing to other people with comfort and encouragement and acts of love but they were neither they were just lukewarm not useful uh, for anything 
so this here is a health lesson that we need to learn, especially living in this country, especially at the times in which we are living. You know, in the weeks and months to come, there's going to be a lot of need that comes before us, a lot of need that comes up in people's lives. People are going to be under a lot of uh, physical and emotional and financial stress. A lot of that's going to come. And so we need to be ready to respond to those needs when people uh, come before us, when God brings people before us. And the question we have to ask ourselves today is, are we ready to respond to that? And the true answer to that is depends on your own spiritual health, your own spiritual temperature. And so you should ask yourself today, how would Jesus diagnose my life with him? How would he say, I am, what's my temperature? You know, if he took my temperature, my spiritual temperature, what would he say it is, hot or cold or lukewarm? Now listen, if, if you're not spending any regular time with Jesus in the Bible and in prayer, I can tell you right now, you are lukewarm right now. If, if, uh, if the cancellation of sport, all the sporting events got you down more than canceling church, it might be due to being lukewarm. <laughs> if your faith cannot wrestle your fear to the ground, it might be due to lukewarmness. If your focus during this time of crisis in our country is more about yourself and hoarding things in your house to make sure you're okay more than it is other people, that could be due to the Laodicea virus. There was a man that all of us, a lot of us know his name. His name, uh, name is Eric Little. And we know it, his story. He was an Olympic athlete in 1924, and he went to the, the games. And his best chance to win a gold medal was in the 100-meter dash. And so um, he, uh, he was looking forward to that, but he decided not to participate in that race because it was run on Sunday, and that was the Lord's Day. And he had a reverence and awe of God, a fear of God, and so he decided not to run. And so his story, you know, that was a... Uh, that was a, an evidence of his faith, and it, it, has, it has been a witness uh, over, the, over the years uh, of his life with God. He did win a gold medal later on in the week in the 400, which he was not favored to win. Well, you know what happened to him after the Olympics? He went and served as a missionary in northern China for the rest of his life. Uh, he got married in 1934 to a lady named Florence McKenzie. And in 1941, life in China had become uh, kind of dangerous as the Japanese uh, began to be get aggressive uh, with that country. And so the British government told British nationals that they should leave the country. And so Florence took their two girls, and she was pregnant, and she went to Canada to stay with her parents for a little while. But Eric stayed in China, and he took a new post in a rural mission to serve the poor. And so as fighting between the Chinese army and the invading Japanese reached that station, they took, the Japanese took it over and they sent everybody back to the Tianjin province. In 1943, Eric was interned in Wizen internment camp. And he became a leader there. He became an organizer. They didn't have much food, medicine, or other things. They were all very scarce, but he was the one that was kind of managing all of that. Lydell, he busied himself helping the elderly, uh, teaching a Bible class, arranging games, teaching science to children who all referred to him as Uncle Eric. 
One of the fellow internees, his name was Norman Cliff. He wrote a book after they had gotten out of the camp, and it's called The Courtyard of the Happy Way. This is what he wrote, how he described Little. The finest Christian gentleman it has been my pleasure to meet. In all the time in the camp, I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. And remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I don't remember. Out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. That tells you something about Eric's heart. Another camp survivor wrote this about him. Often in an evening, I would see him bent over a chessboard or directing some sort of square dance. He was absorbed in it, weary, interested, pouring all of himself into the efforts to capture the imagination of these penned-up youths. He was overflowing with good humor. He had a love for life and a love for God. And with enthusiasm and charm, he did his work. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as, close to it as anyone I have ever known. So Eric wrote a letter to his wife on the day that he died, and he was telling her about a nervous breakdown that he was suffering from because of his overwork. He had this inoperable brain tumor that caused severe headaches that he was struggling with. And he died on February 21st, 1945, just five months before he would have been set free so he could go and see his daughter that he had never met. According to a fellow missionary, Little's last words were this, it's complete surrender in how he lived his life for God. So when we think about this man, Eric, and we know about the race, but we, we didn't know so much about his life after the Olympics. And he's a wonderful example of living a life that is on fire for God, who is providing encouragement and, and healing to other people, and then also a life that is providing spiritual refreshment uh, to others. Now, I thought, you know, the good news for us today is we don't have to leave our country and become a missionary to another country, uh, northern China or wherever else in the world, to show God that we love him and that we want to live for him. But what we do have to do is live, just like Eric described, in complete surrender to God. And that may be harder than becoming a missionary to northern China. But we can do it today. Today, right, right wherever you are, just open your hands up and say, God, here I am. Send me. And I tell you, if you will truly do that, the Holy Spirit will stoke a fire in your heart that you cannot muster up. And he will cause your heart to turn towards others and he will have you refreshing them. He will have you healing them. He will have you sending love and comfort. He might even have you send a roll of toilet paper. Realize that half a surrender is no surrender. You can't go half in with Jesus. It's not one foot in and one foot out. It's all in or it's nothing from salvation to sanctification to glorification. Are you all in with him today? That is the health lesson. We cannot look at the outside of our life today and say, look, I'm doing good. Look at my life. God's favor, God's blessing. He doesn't look at the outside of the cup. He looks at the inside. If we're not hot or we're not cold, we're lukewarm and we need a healing from the healer. Now, I understand at this point in Hosea that we could be suffering from a Hosea virus. <laughs> Uh, one may be called the Hosea fatigue. 
Uh, as we've been going through these chapters and we're covering some of the same ground, if you read the chapter yesterday or this morning before church uh, to prepare your heart, but you, know, you read that and you go, here we go again. It's kind of the same thing. God, why the repetition? Well, I think what we want, we want to realize this, that Hosea didn't sit down in one sitting and write this book out. He wrote it over 30 years, so the chapters didn't come you know, in, in succession like, like we're going through them. Uh, but we also want to realize that each chapter has had something new in it for us to hear. So God is saying the same thing, only he's saying it in a different way because he knows that all of us, we have a hearing problem. And so in the last, uh, last verses, 10 to 14, minus verse 12, there's a hearing test, a hearing lesson uh, for us uh, to learn from. So let's read those verses. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him, and he will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. So when God wanted to get the attention of his people, uh, when he wanted to warn them, when he wanted to correct their behavior, uh, he would send a prophet to speak his word uh, to them. Trouble was, people didn't listen to the prophets. They, they heard, but they didn't heed. They listened, but they didn't like what they were saying, so they lost it. They're saying, look, there's nothing to see here, prophet. Our lives are fine. Look how blessed we are. Those guys are talking crazy talk. Uh, but here God is saying, look, I spoke to those prophets. I gave them the visions. I told them the parables to tell you because I'm trying to get your attention. He mentions Gilead and Gilgal there together, which is sort of a representation of the big sins that were going on in the nation. You know, at Gilead, that's kind of the place where the injustice was going on, the iniquities, the trading, um, the, social, uh, the social wrongs in the nation. And then Gilgal was that place of idolatry where they had all these altars um, and they were sacrificing all kinds of animals there. So um, this representation here, but God's saying, look, there's not going to be, you know, when, when people are doing things in unjustly, they look like they're winning. And God's saying they're going to be losers. They're going to come to nothing. And then those altars that all those um, sacrifices are happening on, they're just going to be stones scattered in a field. They're going to come to nothing. In verse 13, he goes back to Exodus and recalls how Moses um, led them up out of Egypt. And then he says how prophets were there to preserve the nation. You remember how Jesus told us to be the salt of the earth. You know, he said, go out there. One of, the, one of the things that salt does is it preserves, it holds back decay. That was one of the functions of the prophets to speak truth, God's truth into the nation, into the nation of Israel. So they were there to help preserve the nation. But the people provoked God, and they didn't listen to them. They didn't hear what the prophets had to say, so punishment was on the way. You know, Jesus said often in his ministry, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And if you go back and you read all those letters in Revelation to the churches, every one of them ends like that. He who has an ear to hear, yeah, let, him, let him hear, let him do this. Why does he do that? Because he knows we have a hearing problem. We have a hearing problem. There's a difference between hearing with your ears 
and hearing with your heart. And a lot of times uh, this problem will show up in a marriage relationship. It kind of gets, kind of gets emphasized, you know, uh, right there. You know, husbands, think about it. Have you ever been in a conversation with your wife and she's talking, telling you about her day and, and all of a sudden your mind starts to wander and you're thinking about other things and she stops and says, hey, are you listening to me? And you say, well, yeah, I, I can hear what you're saying. I, and then you can even repeat back what she says. But in your heart, you know, you really weren't listening. You were thinking about something else. Now, that's the difference between listening with your ears and, and listening with your heart. Um, you know, back at our old church at Brookville Road, um, and we did this marriage class. It was called uh, Discovering the Mind of a Woman. And so we had this, had this book that has a whole chapter on husbands learning to listen uh, to their wives. And I... I I found this old promotional video that Lori and I did. And, and Lori, I just want to apologize uh, right now for showing this to you. I probably wouldn't have done it if we were all here. But, uh, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and show it to you. Hopefully this will bring a smile to your face today. <laughs> so all I can say about that is uh, you never know what God will have you do if you surrender your life uh, to him. So... And I'm, I'm hoping Lori will let me back in the house and she doesn't corn me to the barn today when I get home. Uh, so listening uh, with your heart, it, it takes more than your ears. Uh, there has to be a willingness to accept what you're hearing. Uh, and then there's a response to it as, as well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of prophets today out there in the world. We just call them preachers today. And, you know, we are here to help you hear the word of God. So you could think of me and Pastor Shane as just expensive hearing aids, really. I mean, that's what we are. Uh, listen, Greg on his own doesn't have any wisdom for your life. I, I don't know how to do it. I don't have a, a specific word from God uh, to, to give you. My words, they, they don't carry any weight uh, in, in your life. They, they don't have any authority. Um, they, they can go in one ear and, and out the other, um, and that's fine with me if they're Greg's words. But if God speaks to you through something that is said here, you need to hear what he is saying uh, to you. And, you know, I get, I get to spend the majority of my week trying to hear the Word of God and trying to understand it and relate to it and apply it to our lives. And sometimes um, I get concerned, maybe a lot of the time, that I am rightly dividing the Word of Truth as, as Paul encouraged Timothy uh, to do. And uh, so you could pray that that would happen, you know, who, for whoever is preaching up here, that they would preach the word of God and that we would rightly divide the word of truth for you. And I think the thing that, that gives me a lot of encouragement um, from, from uh, messages that, uh, that I share is when one of you comes back to me, um, not right after the message, but days after the message, or maybe sometimes even weeks after, and you say, do you remember when you said this and that? And, and you tell me that, and then you change something in your life because you heard God speak something through, through one of these messages. That is what we pray for. That is what we hope for. And so we keep on going with that in mind. So we're going to close today uh, practicing hearing uh, the Word of God. And I want to share with you some words from the greatest prophet that ever spoke um, in the history of the world, the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ. And so why don't you, uh, wherever you are, maybe close your eyes um, and, 
and just focus in on listening to these words. These are a few things that Jesus said to us. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible for him who believes. Those are the words of the greatest prophet that ever spoke. Did any of them speak to your heart today? Is, is there anything God would call you to do just from those words that Jesus spoke? You know, you can trust them. He is the faithful and true witness. The first and the last, the great I am. We're going to have Pastor Shane come back and he's going to lead us again in a a song. And then we'll close in prayer, taking part in the National Day of Prayer that's, that's going on today. So glad that you were with us today. Listen to that word. Learn the lessons. And God will bless you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to uh, I'm gonna ask you to pray where you are uh, to lift up prayers. And we're going to kind of go through a litany of things here. But uh, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And uh, we'll come to our great God who, um, who is amazing, who can do things beyond our imagination. Oh, God, we... We uh, thank you for time today to, to think on you, to dwell on who you are, to stir our faith in you, to calm our souls, to uh, quiet our fear. It is well with our soul because we are in your hands. I pray for those today, Lord, that don't have that, that can't say that, that they would put their life in Jesus' hands today, trusting him for forgiveness and for life with you forever. Lord, our, our country is, is praying today for our world and our nation. And we want to join in that as well. And um, I would ask to, as we uh, 
kind of think through what's going on. That wherever you are, you pray a prayer. You can do that silently, but I'll just kind of lead us through. So, Lord, we, um, we want you to hear our prayers for our world and the countries where this coronavirus has shown up. Hear our prayers. Father, I'm so glad that you are such a big God, that you created this world, and that that prayers we just prayed are not too big for you to answer. Let your grace cover this world. Let your mercy cover it. Let this virus be extinguished. Let those who have it be healed. We pray, Lord, now for our nation and for our leaders and the decisions that they have to make. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we want to pray for our neighbors and our friends and our family, uh, that they'd be protected from the virus. And if they have it or anyone that we know who has it, would, would place your healing hand upon them and give them mercy. Lord, hear our prayers. We want to pray for those who are in the medical profession who are caring for the sick. Uh, so many long days and so many long hours coming. Um, we, we want to lift them up to you today, Lord. Sustain them. Hear our prayers. Lord, we want to lift up the people that are working out there like the cashiers at Meijer, people that are in all these stores where folks are streaming to to get supplies and different things. Lord, we pray for them today. Lord, we want to remember those that are elderly, that are in nursing homes, that are not with their families and they're hearing all these things, maybe even uh, locked down in the facility where they can't have visitors and things. Um, Lord, we pray for them that your peace would reign in their hearts. Lord, we would pray against our enemy. Uh, we would pray that any plans he has uh, to use this virus to cause chaos and co- confusion, to, uh, to, to have people living in fear, um, to have them living uh, in panic, and, uh, that, that you would cancel those plans in Jesus' name. Lord, hear our prayers. Protect us from our enemy. Lord, thank you for doing battle for us in the spiritual realm. And we would want to pray for the body of Christ around the world and here in our nation, here in our state, here in McCordsville, living streams in particular. Lord, we pray for you to light a fire in us that our faith would overcome our fear, that we would be quick to serve and love others, that we'd be quick to shine your light, that we'd be quick to share the hope that we have in you, that no matter what happens, we're okay because we're in your hands. Not everybody has that hope, Lord. And we pray for opportunity to speak Jesus' name to people, that they can find the same hope that we have, uh, hope that we'll have life with you forever no matter what happens. But, Father, we pray for your protection Uh, We pray for uh, your light to shine through us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be our energy in these days to come, that we would show love beyond ourselves, that we would know it is you bearing those fruits of the Spirit in us to bring glory to you and and, and light to you. So use your church in this time of darkness and, and chaos, Lord. And, you know, We pray that things don't get any worse. We pray that this is the worst of it and that it begins to subside. Uh, But, Lord, if it does get worse, if it does get darker, use us. Use us to push it back, 
to shine light, to be your love, to be your hands, to be your feet, your voice in this world. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be a witness for you. So many people are wondering about it today. So give us a chance, Lord, to speak up for you and to love. Uh, Thank you for the time we've been able to spend together. Thank you for everyone that joined us uh, online. I pray your protection and blessing, mercy and grace on their homes. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.